This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Hello. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are delving into the three additional games for the World of Darkness that uh, are not part of what are commonly called the Big Five. So Hunter the Reckoning, Mummy the Resurrection, and Demon the Fallen, and talking about their perspectives, if any, on changelings Mm -hmm. we're kind of in the wilderness between second edition and 20th anniversary at this point so cast your mind back to the early audies yep a little bit late one thing that really ties in is all three of these games had ties to the whole end of the world meta plot that they started Mm. i don't know but i get confused as to what came first the nuclear weapons in bangladesh or the nuclear weapons in the underworld but (sighs) Underworld first, I believe, and then yeah, it, the Red Star in Bangladesh and everything. Yeah, it was all confusing. Don't don't have multiple nuclear weapons in your end of the world plot. But Not unless you're prepared to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so all all three games are sort of tied to it, and um, Hunter and Demon are especially tied to each other. So, mm. but we'll get into all that, and I guess with a focus on how it relates to Changeling, how to use it with Changeling, ideas to steal for Changeling, that kind of thing. So yeah. So shall we commence with Hunter the Reckoning? Mm-hmm. And this is Hunter the Reckoning, not 5th edition, because that right. there's a new edition came out that none of this applies, just for this purpose, let's pretend yeah. it doesn't exist. Yes, so Hunter the Reckoning proper was released in the aptly named Year of the Reckoning event in 1999, and that was the first full core game since the Big Five, because we had Dark Ages and we had Kindred of the East, but neither of those were like standalone things i mean dark ages had its own standalone rules but it was spinoff from the existing games yeah, it's a different time period anyway so it's yeah so the central characters of hunter are the imbued these are humans who have glimpsed the capital t truth about monsters in the world of darkness and have received powers from they're called the messengers is that right the sort of yeah. mysterious beings yeah which if you translate that into another language and then through some other language yeah. a different word Get your Greek books out, kids. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, so even though like the Reckoning event was this thing across game lines and the actual Hunter core book came out late in 1999, if I'm remembering correctly, the first appearance of an imbued Hunter proper was in the vampire supplement Time of Thin Blood that covers Mm -hmm. the death of the Ravno Santa And it's a scene where there's this like street preacher who receives powers in the moment of the week of nightmares and causes a satyr to catch on fire. So that's a very direct mm-hmm. angeling connection at the start. Yeah. And we also do get some mentions in some of the later changeling supplements of the imbued. Mm-hmm. very little, but yeah. they, in the little like prodigal section, they would have like a paragraph and a few of them. So. Yeah. And it's kind of contrasted against the other kinds of hunters, lowercase H mm-hmm. hunters that we've seen in hunters hunted and, I forget the other books across the lines. <laughs> yep. This is also the only one of the three where Changeling was actually still being actively printed when it was released. Yep. Although we were heavy into the art house era at this point and the writing was kind of on the wall about the future of the game. So 
Maybe we should say a little bit about our experience with each of these games as well. Yeah. I will admit I have never played Hunter. <laughs> and I learned a lot as I uh, prepared for this recording. So I've never played Hunter. I've used it. Well, unless you count posting on Hunter.net when that used to be a thing and mm. pretending to be a knocker. And <laughs> I've used them as like weird antagonists. Okay. One thing with Hunters, they have different creeds. I don't know if we want to overview, but yeah, yeah, let's go into it. Yeah. yeah. So they're instead of kiths or whatever, they're like what you did during your imbuing and it affects what powers you get called edges and what take you up on things. And if you look at the art, Hunter Hunter and, <laughs> and early Changeling have this have a commonality of people looking at the art and getting the wrong impression of the game. There are hunters that are kind of extremist and violent and there's lots that aren't. If you want to be a hunter and not something called a bystander, which is like their Kinane equivalent, I guess, it means you do something with regards to the supernatural. It doesn't mean you kill it necessarily. You might be interested in it. You might try to help people, like supernatural people. You might, whatever. You might be what's called judges, where you're like deciding if this is a good monster or a bad monster. Like there's a bunch of different approaches to it. It just means you do something. You don't just ignore the supernatural. But yeah. We can also, I have the list of creeds here if I just want to mm -hmm. fly through them real quick. It's also important to recognize that the creeds are connected to what are called the virtues in Hunter, separate from vampire virtues or early mummy virtues. But vaguely similar too. To similar, yeah. So there's mercy, vision, and zeal, where mercy is sort of compassion and belief that even the most heinous, horrific things can be forgiven. Vision comes from an awareness of the big picture and the possibilities that come from it. And zeal is just the hunters having faith in themselves as hunters and their mm -hmm. personalities individually lead them to each interpret the reasons about why they've been chosen by the messengers. Mm -hmm. So those feed into the creeds. The mercy virtue leads to the innocents who are curious and optimistic about their putative foes. The martyrs protect mortals by sacrificing themselves and the redeemers try to save what they think of as worthy monsters from their monstrous condition. Then with vision, you have hermits who gather and share intelligence. And then the two, is it the lost creeds? I forget what they're called. Lost, the they waywards? Yeah, yeah, the waywards and the visionaries. Well, the hermits are the, lost, the other lost creed. Oh, so it's the visionaries are in the core book. Yeah, yeah okay. the hermits are so good at perceiving that if they go near anything supernatural, they get terrible incapacitating migraines. So wah, wah. Yeah. messengers aren't infallible. <laughs> So the visionaries, meanwhile, are like guides and tacticians for other imbued. The waywards just want to burn it all down, destroy all mm -hmm. supernatural things. Yeah, and they scare the other the other imbued, the waywards. Yeah. Like they're like, hmm, I think there's something wrong with these people. And they'll even go after other hunters sometimes. So, Ooh. Then from Zeal, we have the Avengers, who are similarly wrathful, but a little bit less wild than the waywards. The defenders focus on protecting mortals, and the judges seek to understand monsters in order to judge them. And then each of those creeds has powers called edges that kind of crystallize their beliefs. Yep. I actually don't know much about the edges. I don't know in terms of like power balance what they look like. The whole game is deliberately underpowered. Mm. Um, and the edges technically go to one to four, one to five, but you can't get fifth level edges under the rules in the book deliberately. There's mm sort of over the top you basically have to like go down this path of like becoming more than human to get level five in an edge. interesting and then become a monster yourself essentially yeah actually i think you start registering yeah. as one in terms of the other powers there's lots of interesting game mechanic aspects 
well, and speaking of those other powers in terms of ones that are useful for dealing with Fey, they have a stat called Conviction with, I believe, points that you spend, right? Not, It's not a, yeah. a rolling thing. And in fact, spending them is how you increase things instead of XP. Mm. Your powers aren't XP-based. They're like ah. Okay. Well, among those sort of inherent powers are a kind of second sight and mental protection that allows the hunter to sense something is off about a changeling. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't allow them to like automatically see the fame mean without specific edges. Yep. So they can sense changelings, but not necessarily know much about their nature without further mm -hmm. research. You also had mentioned HunterNet, which I think it's it's kind of funny to think about like really first generation of the internet, maybe second generation of the internet, mm -hmm. where this was one of White Wolf's first forays into kind of transmedia where you had the online forums and the sort of sites that were in character in parallel with the core books. And then like mm -hmm. the signature characters within the game are known by their hunter net handles and things like that. Yep. And they also, I think, yeah, modern day would be, I don't know, a discord server or yeah. hunter TikTok. It's like semi isolation in the shadow yeah. world. And the whole so. thing is it's like the messengers help ensure that it's difficult for anyone to get, who's not a hunter to get into it. So like, yeah. these occasional supernatural breaches but like it would take significant power to do it so mm -hmm. in relation to your comment about the underpowerness of the game there's a note in the core book intro that says this is a game about the horror of living a mundane everyday blue collar life and suddenly being confronted with a terrifying wretched reality monsters exist we are their playthings mm -hmm. it then points out it can be a book about guns and fighting but that's only one expression of it and I feel like the authors clearly felt like that's the most boring one. <laughs> yep. So, not the art, not the art direction, just the writer. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's a perspective that fits in well with thinking about how this could integrate with Changeling, I think. Because like, yep. if you're playing Combat Hunter, that's not a great fit story-wise for Changeling, even though mm -hmm. mechanically uh, an imbued with a flamethrower would probably mop the floor with the Cathane. Uh... I don't think that was even true in second edition. In third edition, definitely. Well, in C20 versus... Uh, anyway. Yeah, well, second edition with all their healing magic, they didn't have. I mean... So. Yeah. Well, I think thematically, Hunter, it's very street level. And mm -hmm. it actually does something that I think both of us kind of like in Changeling is one of the modes of Changeling, which is trying to balance this supernatural world and your mortal life and maybe your mortal life really suffers. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of common story ideas would be like, well, you had to go deal with, there was this horrible group of vampires that were killing people and you went to go deal with it and you missed your shift at work and now you're fired. And how are you going to pay for your rent? Like yeah. the banality of mundane existence. Trying to, like there's a lot of that going on. And there's a lot of hunters who end up having to live on the street but there's also that secret world thing. In addition to Hunter Net, they also have like uh, symbols they can write that only Hunter Imbued would understand and things like that. So it's got this yeah. sort of, it, it feels like an interregnum game almost to me. Like I'm having kind of a little bit of a brainwave as we talk about this, and I'm going to float this as a precept, which I know a lot of people kind of dismiss street level games. Some people like myself are really into it, but a lot of mm -hmm. other folks say like, oh, I don't want to do street level. I think when it comes to crossover, the more street level these games are, the more seamlessly they blend into each other. But 
as each of them ratchets up their power level and their involvement in their specific themes, they disalign, but at different rates. So Mm. I think with Hunter and Changeling, so like Hunter and Changeling, as you go up in power, they diverge more quickly than like Changeling and Mage do. Mm -hmm. But Hunter also has these multiple ways. I mean, all of the games have multiple ways to play it. And Gun Hunter, Flamethrower Hunter diverges faster than other forms maybe i mean it depends like if you were doing a changeling game that's all about fighting the thaline and the incoming fomorians you could have a pc level crossover in theory of like one of the characters is a hunter and another character is like a she warrior and they're doing they're fighting a bunch of goblins and red captains whatever like that that could work i think still at least thematically i don't know about power wise but maybe food for thought Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got some examples of texts that concern changelings from the Hunter line. In the core book, the Fey are referred to as goblins, not just the Kith goblins, but all Fey are goblins. And the two examples in the core book, I believe they're kind of referring to bogies and red caps, respectively, because mm-hmm. it's like there's a group of nurses extracting blood from the babies in a maternity ward and consuming that. And then another example of like a fae biting someone's arm off. And I'm like, okay, well, those are pretty clear which mm-hmm. kiths those are supposed to be. And the latter is actually, I guess, emphasized because one of the standard powers suggested is eating things. <laughs> so mm-hmm. one, one thing with Hunter in general is they very deliberately did a skewed perspective on all the other, super, not just with the fae, but yeah. with all the supernaturals. And it's like, these are just generally the worst monsters. You, you might come across some other fae, but like if they're not doing anything like, Oh, this person seems weird. You've got other problems to deal with. Yeah. And we do get some more diversity in the, the Hunter supplements that deal with them, but mm-hmm. at their, in the core book, they're presented as being one of these two types. And there was never a book about the Fae specifically in right. Hunter. Like they, they did for other like mages and vampires and stuff, but they never did for the Fae. Well, we'll get to the one that comes closest. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does also point out that hunters are not immune to the mists, which it calls obliviousness. It highlights manifesting chimerical items as another one of the core yeah. powers. So there's a little bit of calling on the weird. Although they're, they have this thing called the sight, which you mentioned before, like when they spend conviction and then for the scene, they're like immune to mind control and right, they yeah, can yeah. perceive more things. So, well, that's up. I would say their mists are not. There is a question of whether or not they could be ever enchanted. Mm. The books seem unclear. They can't be drawn into the dreaming, but does that include enchantment? I don't know. I have to imagine most of them are fairly high banality. I mean, similar with like vampires, you can point to cases mm-hmm. where, no, actually they would be low banality, but I think they skew higher th- overall than like mages would, for example. Especially when you have something like the Avengers who are like, we have to destroy all the heathen yeah. monsters or whatever. I think a lot of hunters actually skew towards the dreamer end, especially with the C20 banality scale where they kind of, but I don't think you get a lot of banality six hunters, let's put it that way, six or seven. Like, I think you're either like 10 or like two, but yeah. In any case, you're playing a dangerous game if you try to form an amusing relationship with one. Yeah. So after the core book, which has that little bit of information in the antagonist chapter, we have the storyteller's companion. And there are a few pages in the nightmares chapter at the end. And that elaborates without mentioning changeling once on 
how these beings steal creativity to fuel their magic, which is called glamour. But again, focuses on redcaps and brings in uh, trolls as well. So focusing mm-hmm. on their physical powers. Interestingly, it also notes here that harming or killing a nightmare's host has the same moral implications as dealing with a human. So I think that's kind of an interesting take. Like you said, the skewed perspective that the Fae are these nightmare spirits who possess humans and can hide within their host to suppress their nature. Mm-hmm. This is really the only world building book that we get about the hunter perspective on Changeling. But, you know, it's a it's interesting. I kind of like the idea of a, an antagonist in a Changeling game kind of saying this to Changelings and then being like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just ourselves, you know? Yep. But I mean, if you're talking to an, an Arcadian she. Well, right. Yeah. You might have commenters be like, well, we're not like that, but we can point you to a couple who are, and we don't, we would be totally fine with you taking them off the board. Yeah, there would definitely be commenters saying that, yes. Yes. But that, that's kind of um, the, the nuclear option. Yeah. This book also points out that changelings nor Kinane can ever become imbued, and that Kinane also mm-hmm. appear wrong to the hunter's second sight. And yeah. then we get a bunch of uh, dream magics, which are just different cantrips given different names yeah one thing with hunter in general is it's not even just if you're associated with the supernatural you're not going to get imbued but you're also if you're an extraordinary person you don't get like olympic athletes and like nobel prize winners and stuff getting imbued either it's yeah that tendency to are normal people joe street preacher mm-hmm. construction worker yeah that kind of hmm. then we move on to the storyteller's handbook which has uh, a section called Building Better Monsters. I actually quite like the notes they give in here for improving antagonists, making them more than mooks, emphasizing how they were once human. And I think that this would be valuable for building any antagonists, even like changeling antagonists within a changeling game. Mm -hmm. This is also where we get notes about nobles and commoners from the hunter perspective. (laughs) So they give a lot of the interpretation of politics and social divides which hunters that have extended dealings with goblins might encounter and kind of gives commoners a raw deal here too (laughs) so (laughs) but yeah there's good ideas about complicating the relationship between hunters and changelings like maybe Mm -hmm. you don't have clear-cut choices maybe this goblin you've come across doesn't seem villainous at all and you just feel that they're wrong somehow but there definitely be situations too where the ashit it's like, well, write a rescue. Doesn't matter that they're a ravager. We've got to rescue them. Yeah. It, it fleshes them out into three-dimensional figures. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that as a game, it took the time to do that, especially considering Changeling, by the time this book came out, was like fully on the way out. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think it had been announced as gone. Just, it was... I think Kithbook issue had already come out when this one did. Mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah but they the whole th- i remember that at the time nobody had ever said until we got the chime of announcement of the time of judgment book they had never right. actually <laughs> said there's going to be no more changeling supplements so it's like i mean the year and a half of waiting for book of glamour was a tip-off <laughs> yeah but we were waiting yeah no it's kept true. getting pushed yeah yep kept waiting for little tidbits to pop up on the forum it seems keys of the kingdom got bits written for it like it's uh... yeah which that's a that's a digression yeah future minisode mm-hmm. so then two more supplements for hunter uh we have first contact which is other hunter groups associated with imbued and there is a whole chunky chapter on the dantain as potential allies they're presented mm-hmm. as goblins who have rejected their supernatural nature which i guess is 
accurate. Mm. Yep. I had a dream the other day waking up going like, what if you had like a Dante coming to a judge trying to convince them to go after like a bog and kindergarten teacher and then the judge figures out what's really going on and turns on the Dante. I don't know. Just this... Write it down. Write it down. Yeah, I want to, I want to have that as like, if we ever did a hunter colon goblins. No. Be... I mean, the storyteller's vault still exists. Exactly. Yep. Oh, we can also maybe briefly point out just as a sidebar to this, these three games never officially got a 20th anniversary edition uh, mm-hmm. for various reasons. However, if you are a Storyteller's Vault creator or would-be creator and you're interested in these games and want to bring them into the 20th anniversary, there are style guides available where they kind of in broad strokes give you tips on Mm -hmm. how to make books of that nature. So some folks, myself included, uh, have created books that do try to fit into Hunter or Mummy or Demon, quote, 20th. So creators take note. What else? What else? First Contact does present a little bit of the Changeling meta plot because they reference the bleeding away of the supernatural and the approach of the Winter Kings in relation to the increasing rates of ravaging that the Dantain are freaking out about. And this is probably the most in terms of Changeling derived information that we see in any of these three games. Like there's material directly taken from meta plot books from Changeling here. Mm-hmm. So. Although the imbued obviously are very suspicious of whether these Dante are actually telling them the truth or not. Yes. Which, I mean, you should be. That's the... Yeah. From the hunter perspective, at least. Yeah. And the goals of the Dante from their perspective are power, oblivion, revenge, and salvation. And they provide some story hooks for each. Some themes include alienation, madness, and terror. And then reactions of the imbued to contact with the Dante can include fear, suspicion, curiosity and relief but possibly opposition as well yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff here and then at the end of this chapter holy cats we get a stat block for anton stark of all the places for it to appear (laughs) i did a triple take at that one i think when i got to that page they didn't give him a banality rating did they I think they did actually. Uh, oh. I think he has a. I think he has glamour four, banality nine. Let me just pull yeah, it up okay. real quick. <laughs> yep, here he is. Glamour four, banality nine, willpower seven. His spells are ban, enslave, forget, and go seek, which I believe correspond to weaver ward fugue. The go seek would be. Uh... Go seek is veiled eyes. It's like the oh okay invisibility one, and then uh, captive heart. I actually went through and matched up the cantrips to each of the powers. Cause... Yeah, there, there's definitely been changeling writers working on these. That's like change, people into changeling writers working on these. Yeah. And then the last hunter source book that deals with changelings very obliquely is Urban Legends, I would argue. I don't think they ever actually use the word goblin or spell it out, but like there's a whole section on one hunter's quest through uh, the New Jersey Pine Barrens represent kind of chasing myths of the Jersey devil and stuff. And I would say that's probably the most changeling flavored. There are lots of slurs throughout handle with care. (laughs) But as you pointed out, all of the other core lines of world of darkness got enemy books, but this was 2003 and changeling had ended by that point. Mm -hmm. There's also in this book, some Q and a elements on pages 102 through 105 that are quite good for designing changeling foes as well. Kind of hearkening back to that, building better monsters stuff, and then also material that emphasizes the diversity 
and weirdness of nightmares, as well as their rarity, and suggesting that the tragedy of hunter nightmare pair-up stories revolve around the latter's partial humanity and fading mythical nature. I'm like, that's changeling. That works. Yep. The sort of sample character they give is a neighborhood babysitter named Old Grandma Flo, and she ravages sometimes. She likes the kids, but sometimes they just need to be ravaged. I was even thinking, like, if you were doing a hunter game, you could bring in some of the weirder things from Changeling. Yeah. That aren't the kids. Ain't. Like, and you're dealing with an anime, or like C20, you're dealing with, uh, well, I can't remember the name of them. The things. The Lycians? Lycians. Yeah, like a Lycian. Hmm. That could definitely be a thing a hunter has to deal with, but is no. Well, another vibe that I got from this chapter and this book in particular and given the television landscape at the time, it makes sense. But I got Buffy vibes in particular, mm-hmm. the episodes of Buffy that have little to nothing to do with the broader mythology. So like the episode where Buffy's in a hospital and there's like the eye tentacle beast that only children can see and it sucks out their life force or the episode mm-hmm. Hush that has the gentleman floating around stealing people's hearts. And they're described on occasion within the show as fairy tale monsters, but they're these mm-hmm. sort of sui generis things that from the hunter perspective would fit into this kind of framework yep or just nightmare chimera that have weird or whatever yeah or other ways of messing with mortals yep so those are the books that deal with changelings i don't know if you've come across any other bits no not really i'm not as i never really thought of from that perspective i was thinking more of like how do i use a hunter in a changeling game which well how would you what i like doing with them is most hunters are not even the kind of antagonist ones, antagonistic ones, are not typically the jump in guns blazing without knowing what's going on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I like them as like a way to creep out the player characters. So if there's like somebody, they realize somebody's been watching them and they're like trying to do stuff. And it's like hunters have enough edges and powers to like the ways that changelings would try to drive off like mortal hunters who might not work on them. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the mist didn't quite take. And there's all this other stuff. Like you could do things where it's just, all the hunters really ends up doing is just like, they're like an innocent just trying to understand what these are or something like that, or a visionary or something, or a judge trying to, like the, the player characters might not might never actually get into, unless they initiate something violent, there might be no violence, but you can yeah. just ramp up some, if you want some like creepy paranoia in your player characters, I find them good for that. Yeah. I mean, as a game, Hunter does seem like it would be good for modeling moral gray areas and disagreements among players about what, what constitutes such a gray area and then having changelings as antagonists who bring that to life very directly. I mean, their development across the line, like as, as these additional hunter source books came out, present these increasingly complicated cases to handle. So Mm -hmm. like when we talk about the perspective of the changelings as parasites or manipulators without the complication of playing changeling, (laughs) because like, yeah, you know, you can kind of elide over that when you are playing Changeling by, by saying, oh, well, Kithane have to look out for Kithane and desperate times, desperate measures, whatever. We can get into this more when we talk about fame morality, but those issues do often get lost in the shuffle in Changeling games proper due to things like politics and quests and whatever. Mm-hmm. So Hunter can really bring those to light. Yeah, you can do like the uneasy ally thing where like you maybe introduce mm. a Hunter who like there was some sort of monster, be them a Thalane or a Nightmare Chimera or something like that. And the hunter helps it with it. And the changelings have been dealing with it. Like it's a very straightforward idea. But And then, okay, great. And then they like rely on each other. And then judges are great for this, I think. But like in general, like the hunter, a group of hunters even, 
lot of them are solitary, but they can work in groups. Suddenly they're dealing with one of the changeling friends of the PCs. And they're like going after them because they're doing something which the players might recognize as being immoral, but the characters might be like, well, no, that's okay. Like, yeah. Or like, like you're playing nobility and they're like, they've enchanted some people and hunters are not cool with that. Like, yeah, it would be an interesting experiment to have your changeling group play a one shot or a short run of mm-hmm. hunter with their changeling characters as the antagonists. Just be sure not to kill them off, but like yeah. you know, flipping the script. But that's the whole thing. Like Hunter does have, definitely can go into the violent antagonist thing. There is a place for that, but there's a huge <laughs> wide difference area. Yeah. A body switch chronicle would be interesting. Can a she possess an imbued? Like if it's coming back from Arcadia? Probably not. I don't think it could boot out the soul. That doesn't make sense. Is it worth mentioning also, I slight spoiler for anyone who does actually want to play this, but at some point they do kind of reveal the origin of the messengers and like who's responsible for sending yeah. them. And I figured the... we'd get to that in our third part. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, I yeah, mean... We can say it now, yeah. It raises, yeah, so it's the, what is it, the Ebon Dragon and the Scarlet Queen, or whatever they're called, Scarlet Phoenix, which ties into Land of Eight Million Dreams, perhaps, and it makes me think... And Exalted. Well, yeah. Because that was that was this period. The Ebon Dragon, the Scarlet Empress, that's actually like Eden Exalted characters. Well, let's stick to our brief. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about Exalted in a different episode. But it raises the question of how like Sien would play into this. Like yeah. how would they perceive hunters? But the other tie-in is the messengers consist of two angels. Yeah. Which etymologically works, at least like the two remaining angels on Earth. Well, before we get to them, yeah. <laughs> let's briefly talk about the mummy. Yes. So mummy is an interesting case because Mummy the Resurrection wasn't the first book about mummies in the world of darkness. It's true. And in fact, the older books are the only ones that actually do have texts about the Fae. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, historically, the first edition of mummy was basically a vampire supplement because werewolf hadn't even come out. And then the second was a general world of darkness supplement in 97, I believe before Changeling second edition. But then the actual game Mummy the Resurrection, which was a reinvention of that into a half-fleshed-out system, that was released as part of the Year of the Scarab event in 2001 yeah. with a single supplement, The Player's Guide, in 2002. And just to give... So if people are curious about those previous mummies, Mage the Podcast has done two episodes, yes. I think, about them in a lot of deep dive. If you don't want to just read the books, if you want some perspective on it, they've done a pretty good... From a Mage perspective... Links will be provided in the show notes. Yeah. So the through line for all of those editions is that you play one of the undying who maintains their power through the spell of life, which is like the true and best spell of reincarnation created in ancient Egypt. Many mages have sought that out and tried to copy it with usually limited success. Then within the meta plot of Mummy the Resurrection, the sixth great maelstrom that shredded the underworld and canceled Wraith caused Osiris, the Lord of the Underworld, to come back with a new and improved spell, creating the modern mummies, or I guess the revised mummies, because this was revised edition. And they are referred to as the Amenti. I actually like them a lot better because they're kind of like immortal dies and becomes a wraith and they have like a broken soul and the shards of the old mummies join with them to like fill in the gaps in their soul and re-inhabit their body. They're like a weird form of Risen who are I don't know, supernaturally empowered or whatever. Well, I guess all Risen are supernaturally mm-hmm. empowered. But they're not angsty crow types. So. Yeah. 
the game gets into a lot of complex Egyptology. I'm not entirely clear on the accuracy of it, but I hear that when C.A. Suleiman took over the development in the second book, like it was decently accurate. I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, I get that. the impression somebody in Atlanta went to the public library about yeah. that. Yeah, because I mean, we get notes about like the multiple parts of the soul and the branches of traditional Egyptian magic mm -hmm. and the judges of the underworld and the pantheon. So yeah, someone well, did a thorough I mean, read. I mean, even accuracy, we're talking about a religion that spanned literal millennia. Like It's true. I just mean accuracy in terms of public library versus they watched movies. Or in the case of the, the revised, there was that cartoon yeah. series. <laughs> anyway, as a splat... The Amenti. It's also funny, Amenti is the name of their corner of the underworld in the city there, and I'm imagining changelings referring to each other as Arcadia. Not Arcadians or Arcadian she mm -hmm. or whatever, just, oh, my fellow Arcadia. And it's weird, but all right. But the Amenti are defined by balance as their trait and their service in the name of Mat, the representation of that concept from ancient Egypt. And so they're locked in a battle against Apophis, seen as either an expression of the worm or the embodiment of chaos and destruction, depending who you ask, as well as its children, the Bane mummies. And they're still, I think, actively led by Osiris's son in mythology, Horus, in this fight. Like, I think he's actually still on Earth doing things. Mm -hmm. They are tied to the Web of Faith, which runs throughout the Middle East. So it kind of, it limits their broad application in like a globe-trotting game, but you can still make it work. And there are also branches of mummies from other parts of the world that pop up later, as well as ones that have abandoned their mission and the code of laws that Horus set down. So there's a variety of groups. Mm -hmm. The themes of the game, as laid out in the core book, are responsibility, which is a product of purpose and redemption. So these flawed mortals have been restored to life and have their potential realized so that they can use it for the fight against Apep or Apophis. And the mood is one of duality, especially between the physical and the spiritual. So unlike most undead, mummies actually can enjoy their fleshly life and like eat food, have sex, etc. And they learn to appreciate the value of both living world and the underworld. And that's why they fight is to maintain that balance between the two. So I do see like a parallel between the chimerical and the autumn, but I doubt the Fae are quite so fair minded about it. Like, I imagine most mm -hmm. Fae would privilege the chimerical. I think the most interesting point of connection would be like mummies and Shiachain. Yeah, especially like pre-Money of the Resurrection when there was still all the old mummies running around. Yeah, and pre-C20 version of the Shiachain as well, because without yeah. like the mantles and everything, they were just changelings who had reached such peace with their dual nature that they yeah. attained immortality. They, they were just Golconda, but Fae. Yeah, that balance theme. Mm-hmm. And then the different groups, very quickly for reference, are called dynasties. There are the Herminu, the tomb watchers. They're obsessed with the beauty of humanity, including their own bodies to the point of excessive self-preservation. The Krihabi, the scroll bearers, they like to seize this new chance to learn more about the world and themselves. The Mesektet, the night sons, who seek to atone for wrongs in their mortal lives and are generally insufferable. The Sakhmu, the spirit scepters, they revel in creativity and newfound inspiration and like to create effigies and artifacts. So there's a nice parallel there. The Sefehi, the unbandaged and passionate philosopher warriors, 
and the Ujasen, the judged ones who were made from kind of a flawed process where it was like the mummy that got shoved into the holes in the mortal soul was itself not enough to fill that hole. But these are desperate times and we got to make more mummies. So they got made anyway. I would say the Sakamu are probably the most straightforward for things like musing because they like being creative and stuff. But you could also have like a Kheriminu lover for a she or a Krihabi scholar seeking out the Fae for some reason, you know, various points of connection. So that's resurrection in a nutshell, I would say. What about the mummies in the supplement? Ah, so to my knowledge, there is nothing. Yes, there are the Kapakocha in South America and the Wutian in China. To my knowledge, there is nothing about the Fei or the connections that they have for them either. But they, they follow their own sort of culturally inflected ideals of balance. Like, obviously, they don't have the Egyptian heritage or connection with Horus and Mat and everything. Mm-hmm. But there are similar kinds of alignments among them. Yeah. And then there's the bog bodies. Yes, the bog bodies. Tell us about those. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes. But yes, there are bog mummies from Northwestern Europe that... I don't know. I feel like they deserved a fair shake. There's a, a throwaway reference to them in, I think, one point in the player's guide and then one point in second edition, but then they're never like really developed. So I took it and ran with it and I'm, yeah. I'm not ashamed. Was that just Northern? Cause like there's an interesting peat bog near where I live and stuff. Yeah. Like one that. could, <laughs> one could spin yeah. it off into. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I can read verbatim the entirety of Mummy's commentary on the Fae and Changeling's commentary on the Mummies. Okay. Um, So Mummy 2nd Edition says the following on page 42. We know little of the Fae, for they are an enigmatic people. From the earliest times, we met with the Ishu, wandering storytellers who brought tales of distant wonders and ancient horrors. They fight their own wars, which to many of the Shemsuharus seem as trivial pursuits. They seek flights of fancy and imagination and overindulge in emotion and whimsy. Likewise, the Fae consider us to be among the prodigals or lost changelings. For millennia, we have tried to study their cosmology and worldview, and we have befriended many of the changeling folk. We believe that what the changelings view as the sundering, when the worlds of spirit and matter were rent apart, correlates to what we see as the upheaval of Mott. And then on page 69, it says, The Fae cannot be mummified. The Great Rite simply does not work on changelings. And that's it. That's the entirety of the commentary on the Fae in Mummy. The issue bit, it's like, of course they interacted with the issue because at this point we're just saying that's who's in the, that part of the world. But there's nothing in Resurrection that I could find, though, unfortunately. Yep. From the Changeling side, Kithbook issue says, We know of only a handful of these beings, living links to the Great Nile dynasties, but they are so maddeningly elusive. Oh, what we wouldn't do to listen to their tales and hear of the world that our ancestors knew firsthand. If only we could find one who would talk to us. And at that point in Changeling, that was the only reference. We have since gotten a little bit more in the C20 Player's Guide about an allegiance between the Empire of the Sphinx and the mummies who live within the Egyptian sort of cultural sphere. Mm -hmm. But perhaps we'll get to that when we talk about the C20 Player's Guide. If only we had gotten the year of the Scarebook for Changeling Keys to the Kingdom. Indeed. (laughs) So I think, like, given all of that, you know, we, we kind of have to think for ourselves, kind of do thought experiment and think about how mummy and changeling would align. And from mm-hmm. my perspective, those themes of balance and duality, not to mention the whole conjoining an immortal spirit to mortal flesh thing and the spirit of a shared mission, they might mm-hmm. seem to lend themselves well to crossover on the one hand. But then on the other, the Amenti are pretty isolated. The Fae are 
pretty flighty. And I think that kind of works against an ongoing sort of team up. Like I think mummies work best as the mysterious stranger who shows up as a guest star or vice versa. Like you could probably make like a mummy, the resurrection, especially crossover like PC crossover with some changeling characters. If everybody picked the, you you set up the concepts properly, but yeah, there's nothing about it that especially lends itself well to it. I don't think either. I certainly think they would skew more towards the Sealy. Like mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility that they can meet a nice Unsealy, but given how committed they are to like balance, you know. Yeah. Like even the nice Unsealy be like, oh, you, you're too passionate and reckless. <laughs> yeah. That being said, you could also cast the Shadow Court as servants of Apophis. Yeah. Apophis or Apophis? I never really know how I want to pronounce it. Well, that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Bane mummies can totally hang out with your Shadow Court game. Like, Shadow, yeah. Shadow Court is the best, is like the easy, most obvious way to do. If you do Shadow Court games, what's the obvious way to do a crossover in general? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, you're, well, and, you're having tea with the Nefandi and you're going yeah. to... <laughs> that dank, dank tea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think mummies would be particularly banal either. Like, no. com- again, compared with vampires. I really enjoy the sort of opening fiction or in-character exegesis in the Mummy Player's Guide, which is basically the journal of a newly made Amenti examining, among other things, her newfound appreciation for her body and its capability and has this kind of like utter joy in discovering that. And just from like the tone of it and the way it's written, it it feels glamorous for lack of a better term. And that Mm -hmm. I think... You know, you could have mummies who genuinely enjoy being on Earth and experiencing things, and that is something a changeling can align with. Yeah, like they they sort of highlight something that you'd want. We don't really get banality rules outside of the Fae. Like mm-hmm. we get like that one chart in C twenty, but it's not. They're definitely mummies, especially. They highlight to me like doing proper crossover. You might want some sort of thing where banality can ebb and flow in them in some way and yeah that she was a long-term game yeah there are other connections through other points so like when a mummy dies they do eventually always come back unless their body is like completely atomized or whatever but they spend time in the underworld and so if you have slua who can perceive wraiths mm-hmm. a mummy is functionally a wraith for the duration of that period so that's one way they could connect yeah to your point about the spell of life with the caramet and more like the changeling way could potentially have some kind of connection in general, or one of the many forms of the changeling way. <laughs> yep. Cause there are mummies who resent the idea of a spell of life, not of their own making being out there and like punishing the people that do that. Yep. Oh, that'd be a weird pseudo Dante kind of almost C20 Dante actually, especially. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also just kind of, you can look at some of the concepts in mummy and recast some of the changeling setting. So like something I thought of was what if instead of a, she kicking out the soul of their host, displacing it, they share the body in the same way that a Temach, as it's called the original shard mm-hmm. of the ancient being shares the body with the mortal who originally inhabited it. Yeah. And maybe like there has to be some kind of oath sanctified by the dreaming to keep that union in place. Maybe that's the first step of the changeling way. Like you said, right? <laughs> Oh, one more thing. Useful bit in the Mummy Core book, because the Mummy magic, a lot of it is geared around bumping up attributes over five. A very useful thing that was introduced, I think, in the original like Mummy books and then carried mm-hmm. into Resurrection is 
at levels six, seven, and eight of each attribute, they give you a few examples of like special unique powers a character can have. So if you have a changeling whose dots go over five, it's like you could use that as a source for saying, oh, here's what here's a bonus power you get for appearance six, because chances are you're not going to do much else with it. I don't know. People so want to have appearance six with their she in my experience, regardless of what it gets them. But I think I've seen far fewer people with appearance six than appearance seven, which is like <laughs> the high octane version. Mm, yep. But a very few she with appearance five is my experience. I had a she with appearance three and I was happy. No, no. Appearance three, yes. But like you either put one dot base or like four or five dots base. <laughs> I was ugliest she on the block. Yep. I've seen that a bunch, especially in 2E where you actually are the ugliest. Yep. And then we get to the third game. I don't have, I really don't have much for Demon. So <laughs> Okay, so Demon the Fallen. So first uh... I'm going to read, I'm going to read every bit that Demon the Fallen talks about Changeling and Changeling the Dreaming talks about Demon the Fallen. So I'm done. I, I can splice in some cricket noises there. For... Yeah. There's no official connection. Demon the Fallen came out well after Changeling stopped being published. When they came out with it, they are deliberately doing the end times at that point, not just ramping up. It has a lot of connection to Hunter, a lot of connection to other games. They mentioned mages and they have all sorts of weird things. Demon, I think, also gets... There's problems with it, I have. But there's mm. the, the problems people on the internet describe with it more than I think it deserves. You are playing Fallen Angels after a war on Earth between two sides. And this was not good versus evil. This was... Demons were the interventionist with regards to mortals, and the angels were the stay separate from mortals. And this giant war... And then the demons were cast into the underworld in a place called the Abyss, which was not like your trip, the view of hell. There's no mortal souls there. It's just very cramped and dark and terrible for them. And they were just trapped there for many millennia. Like there was a few that had come forward over time that were sort of summoned out. But by being in the Abyss, they sort of were hit with something called torment and it become sort of evil mad from all that. And they're called like the Earthbound. They click super evil crofted in anime. <laughs> oh. And yeah, but then after all this like apocalyptic stuff, the cracks opened up and all the, these demons came out and they start possessing people that already don't really have souls or people who are uh, vegetative state brain dead or had a weak soul and they kind of come over and take over and sort of boot out the soul essentially if there was one, but they keep some of the memories. It's very she-like. They have houses like the she. They. <laughs> I was going to say, did you describe demon at some point in terms of like, imagine if the she, like you kind of, I remember you posted on discord or something. It said like, if you took the she and did this with them, you would have demon. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, there's many things in Demon that feel like parallels, and I'm never sure if it's accidental or if the Demon authors had read change. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think it was accidental at all, personally. Yeah. But So, okay, I can't tell with every parallel. But it also feels like they didn't want to acknowledge it at all. They have a great deal of awareness, like the awareness ability that Mage gets on steroids. Their power stat is called Faith. And while they have any dots in it, they're immune to mind control. It's very similar to the site for Hunter, but just always active. They got all these powers called lores, including manipulating paths. 
they also have no knowledge of the Fae, it seems like. Like, they had no knowledge of spirits. They were confused by werewolves. <laughs> when they were cast in, it was supposed to be, like, before there was vampires. Like, that's how old it's supposed to be. So, yeah. I, I would imagine they would they would know about Fomorians and Tuaha, even though they wouldn't understand, like, the distinction or the names mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's changelings. They really have no idea. Yeah. Or the dreaming. Except, like, this was before the, way before right, the right. sundering, let alone the shattering. So... Yeah, if they have any concept of it, but their their memories are very twisted. Like the one when they go and they possess. First of all, just being in the abyss for that long messed with them. And then when they they have similar mind like issues that like changelings have. Like they don't have perfect memory of what happened. And two demons will meet up and start talking about what happened, and they'll be like, "What are you talking about?" Like the <laughs> complete the, the the sort of like giant through line might be the same, but what actually happened is quite different. People describe it as a Christian game. I would say no. It's definitely based on Christianity, but like the big hero good guy in theory of the setting is Satan or Lucifer. Like, no, that's not, (laughs) I wouldn't say it's. Just on that note briefly. So when you were talking about sort of the context of the war in heaven, I mean, it draws a lot from the sort of Miltonian paradise lost conception. Definitely. Angels. But at the time also, we've talked previously about Sandman the spin-off series Lucifer, mm-hmm. of which the TV show that has very little to do with it is based, a lot of the themes and ideas here, I imagine, were drawn from that. I haven't looked at like inspirations yeah. in the core book or anything, but yeah, I can check. It was also part of Year of the Damned, so there's that edgelord yeah. uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. But it also like it has they draw on something called faith, and the descriptions of faith. It's definitely not the same thing as glamour, but it sounds a lot like it. (laughs) Yeah. Let me look at their inspirations. Paradise Lost, Screwtape Letters, Legion. Okay. uh, Needful Things, American Gods, American Gods. So they did American Gods, but not Lucifer. Interesting. They have this thing, they draw a thing called Faith. So like mortals have this stat, which I think might actually be a good inspiration for if you want to flesh out dreamers a bit more instead of just being this big nebulous thing um it's like their faith potential which could in theory go up and down but like people have some have more potential to have faith it doesn't mean what they have faith in and then if a demon can kind of tap into that by like getting them to give faith towards them they can either get sort of a one-off rush of faith or enter into some kind of pact with them which lets the demon kind of rewrite the person's faith within them to like can give themselves powers but also give a certain amount of faith every sunrise to the demon almost like musing and ravaging yeah but it's like imagine if you could like turn it into some of that like permanent enchantment rules kind of thing giving them some superpowers hmm. a dreamer like a potent dreamer doing that c20 enchantment yeah there you go yeah but like more viable because yeah. it comes from them so like, also kind of like canaan i guess kind of idea. yeah um yeah they have visages rather than means, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can evoke. It's almost like invoking the weird. Like they'll yeah. have because the visage is always there, and other demons can see it in each other with their awareness slash kenning, and <laughs> but then they can bring it out in full. It doesn't cost memory loss, but it does have. Uh, it can, it's not. I don't think it has specific rules like with uh, even werewolves or whatnot, but it does tend to freak people out. Obviously, to see something like that. Because there's a thing. There's what's it? Revelation where it's. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an anti-mists in a way where it's like if if a mortal sees you they will suddenly know for know you for exactly what you are or something. Yeah. 
which is and there's this there's this torment thing so Hmm. now that they're in human bodies they're lessened by it the most powerful demons can't do this without burning out the human body the most of the demons can and it gives them this human side which does impact their memories but it also helps limit their torment potentially depending on who they possessed i mean a lot of them feel really guilty about what they did but it really lowers their torment potentially maybe it's it's very similar to like humanity and vampire if you're familiar with that torment 10 would be like humanity zero and yeah mechanically it kind of works like banality (laughs) yes it does kind of work like banality and gaining it like that but if you get a high enough torment you actually start getting it's more like bedlam when you hit high enough yeah but you get more power yeah but it's not controllable power which is an interesting idea another interesting idea is if you kill their mortal host they can in theory move on and become either an earthbound or possess someone else, but there's they have to do it quickly before the world sucks, before they get sucked back into the abyss. Ugh. But it feels kind of like, well, if you were to do rules for how long can you hang out before banality kills you, you know. So, so it's lots of parallels and interesting ideas there for like systems you could do if you wanted to update, if you wanted to add some fill in some gaps that Changeling has that were sort of alluded to concepts but not really described well. I, I have a comment about this, but I'm going to first ask a question because you had mentioned you've seen sort of people's complaints about it online, and I'm curious what yeah. those are. Okay, one is they think it's like very pro-Christian. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I would describe it as very anti-Christian. It's still very focused on Christianity and the Christian, like it's not the Jewish or Muslim or whatever, or various other small mm. religion conception of this kind of thing it's not nearly as like that it's it's a very but not just like dogmatic christian it's like paradise lost influenced another and it's the kind of thing that i don't know a bunch of 20 somethings who were raised christian and now are not christian and they're living in atlanta and writing a game about supernatural monsters might want to throw in for their yeah I thought I'd seen people refer to that as like one of its selling points, but those tend to be the edgelory types who say, oh, this is what at its best. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, but it's not like, I think it actually, when it talks about like faith and like, there's like the opening fiction, a lot of fiction internet. Some of it's like actually kind of interesting takes on faith and belief. And mm. yeah, I think it's more nuanced than what the edgelord people. And there's oh, also yeah. people talk about, oh, there's this whole like layers explanation. I'm like, when the demon when it talks in character about demons what they think about other supernaturals they don't mention changelings but they do mention stuff about spirits and werewolves and all that yeah, stuff. yeah i think you should take that with as much grain of salt as when you is when you see in changeling talking about how vampires are a type of red cap <laughs> and like werewolves come from puka and that's all absolutely like accurate josh yeah yeah exactly like it's it's actually part of my like headcanon thing where the world of darkness maybe had multiple creations and multiple places mm-hmm. were created that eventually merged. Like demon the fallen's about one place and one creator and one. It's not everything. So, I mean, as I've I'm sure stated multiple times, my own distaste for it isn't from any kind of objection to its content, but mm-hmm. really just because. And I I know I've said this anecdote before that changeling having been freshly canceled i think they saw an opportunity to use a lot of those mechanics for a new splat without like mm-hmm. stepping on any toes and then someone who will remain nameless had the unmitigated gall to tell me that changeling quote stole from demon and oh, so that that's just, just you know yeah. 
<laughs> like I do think it also has a lot of like if you read when we talk, I think we talked about this when we did Land of Eight Million Dreams. If you read the origin yeah. story for them, and okay, so replace the August Persona of Jade, Jade with God, and the Hisian with the Fallen, and it's yeah, the stories, well, the origin stories are pretty similar. So the other thing that bugs me though, and I, I when I was reading through for for this episode i i mean i didn't know about like their innate powers or anything but they're such mary sues in terms of like mm. they're immune to all mind control they're immune to possession they can pierce illusion they have supernatural physical they can heal damage mm-hmm. they're resistant to damage they can detect when someone uses their like they have all these extra powers i don't i feel like as they planned the time of judgment they were like mm-hmm. oh we need to have some kind of figure or group who's like the hero of the setting and because it's white wolf and world of darkness they had to make it lucifer as an (laughs) anti-hero i will say yeah their innate powers are kind of well i mean they have a lot of them (laughs) yeah how strong some of them are okay like they're definitely their healing's way weaker than vampires let alone werewolves and i don't know it says they can use faith to heal that sounds pretty efficient yeah but it's harder than spent using blood to heal so all right, well, fair enough. But changelings can't use glamour to heal, and no, they shouldn't. And, and their lores are generally weaker, I'd say, than second edition changeling arts, and definitely mm. less flexible. But also, like second edition, poorly worded and not well thought out. Wah, wah. Like the lore of paths, I was, I was I played in one demon chronicle, and I've run a one shot of demon. Like lore, I played a character with lore of paths, and it was like really vague what any of this meant and it could be interpreted in one way as extremely powerful and in a different way as pretty much useless some of their other powers are just there's no way to interpret them but useless and other ones is like niche powerful like in this very specific (laughs) weird area that never comes up but when it does come up this is very handy so i mean they do have a set things on fire one which you know yeah pretty straightforward but they have like make animals come talk to you (laughs) oh cute well, when we get to our listener question in a few moments, that yeah. that will come up again. But yeah, mechanically though, it has some problems. There's some definite tonal issues which I don't see brought up much, which bug me, which came as a problem in a game I was in. But um, <laughs> like the idea that it suggested at one point in one little blurb somewhere that um, all polytheistic religions are earthbound. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Skip. Yep. Well, there is, I noted on page 267 of the core book, it states that demon is about faith, temptation, and the heroic struggle for redemption in the face of overwhelming (laughs) odds thematically within the very cynical world of darkness. And that the temptation is there in that they can now, now that they're out of the abyss, they can suddenly access all this ample faith to regain this power Mm -hmm. that they lost. And the question becomes, what will they do with it? And that's kind of the overarching, you could say, theme of the world of darkness as a whole. From a changeling perspective, I'm like, imagine she being tormented for millennia, suddenly returning to find a glamour-filled world. That's not how changeling presents itself, but in those terms, it -hmm. does give you, I think, some insights into that alignment of perspective between those two splats and all of the others to a degree. So I, I mean, I see potential there and I can see why people like it. I'm trying to put aside my own sort of yeah. gripes. about. Let me put it this way. I think with the right people, 
a demon 20th anniversary edition could have been very good. Yes, I, I can agree with that. The This edition was like, even though it came out after even Changeling Sucking published and like near the end of the World of Darkness, it's a first edition. It feels way more than Hunter. Very first edition. Like they did not think through some of these things. It was not it's really rough around the edges. Yeah. And then they threw in a lot of crossover. Like it was even like the first edition, like early World of Darkness level crossoverness in it in a way that was haphazard. Mm. And you're like, yeah. In, in light of crossover though, yeah. even though there are no fame mentioned, I did write down a couple potential ideas I had for story hooks and ideas. Mm-hmm. So first you could have potentially, I, I don't know how uh, mechanically this would work, but if a demon gets displaced from their human host at the same time as a sheik arrives from Arcadia, could a she mm-hmm. take over that body? So there's a story hook. I can imagine the groups working together, given their similar metaphysics, to manipulate a human group to fuel their survival jointly. Or mm-hmm. if they're both being cast as demonic by fundamentalist humans who don't recognize the difference between them, and there's historical precedent with that, with the notion of like, fairies being angels who didn't pick a side in the war in heaven, then that's a shared enemy kind of chronicle. You mm-hmm. also have the mytheme of the tithe to hell. See the forthcoming Book of Grimaire for the Changeling 30th anniversary project. And then as antagonists, even though they're annoyingly powerful or they seem annoyingly powerful inherently, I can imagine trolls seeing them as antagonists in terms of like a conflict of honor or religious Liam Shi trying to get rid of them, but also having them like work with issue or compete with issue to find and secure certain treasures. There are yeah. connections and I will allot that. Yeah. And and I think in like a, a conflict scenario, it's kind of funny when changelings are dealing in conflict with the other prodigals, hunters aside as well, but like most yeah. of the other prodigals, there's a lot of misdirection and confusion and reliance mm. on the mists and do that doesn't work on demons, but in a head-to-head fight, like, I don't think the demons are having a huge advantage. Like, if you invoke the weird versus apocalyptic form of demons, my money is probably leaning towards Faye on that fight. Like, Perhaps. it's kind of, yeah. And you can also have, like, mute, like other things are the way to describe what Earthbound they need these, uh, they can't really inhabit people very well, although they can do high conviction hunters explicitly they could possess, but that's mm. another story. Um, separate, separate podcast. I think also maybe high irritating mages, but yes. They can inhabit, like the things they describe as being able to have it in, sound a lot like treasures and freeholds and glades and things like that. So you could have a, oh my goodness, I've got a demon stuck in my freehold <laughs> now you're teaming up with the... there's a demon in my basement well there's a yeah an earthbound which generally the rest of the demons even the not nice ones are like ah we don't like the earthbound they've gone too far like it's like hardcore fomorian level don't like them so and those are those are the ones that we've seen in other lines as like the traditional yeah. demons like cupola and vampire and yeah and there was a dark ages supplement all about them that was just... yeah 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 because at that point they were only basically powerful things but there's also ways you can mess with demons there's questions like could you you can mess with them with their true names. Humans can do rituals on them. Match. Maybe Faye could as well. That would mess with them if you knew like their true name or even celestial name and do things and bind them and stuff like that without any magical powers. So Again, forthcoming in the Changeling 30th anniversary yeah. project. Yeah. But that wouldn't even take powers, like just a regular human yeah. 
shown what to do can do it. So I am curious. I think it kind of depends, and I know we've talked about this elsewhere, about the metaphysical nature of the mists, but mm-hmm. my notion is that demons wouldn't be affected by the mists. However, they don't inherently get to see who changelings are. They are not automatically enchanted. Because no. even though they can pierce illusion, the fae mean is not an illusion. Like they see the fae's human. No, no, them. I won't think they would either. Like they could do that same thing you're talking about with the sight. Like, you know, the ST could roll in the background perception plus awareness. And if they get enough successes, they know there's something kinky about a fae. Although there's a lot of changelings that like anybody could probably tell there's something kinky about them. So yeah. <laughs> that doesn't tell, like they don't explicitly know much, but they would know... It lists in miles, like detect if you were doing weird magic, like a weird cantrip, they could probably detect yeah. that it's over something happened over there, but not know what it is or what was done. Well, so this might be a good segue into the question that we're answering mm-hmm. from the Discord, where Sanchiger asks, How, if at all, do demon lures interact with changelings, chimera the dreaming, and so on? And Van Eck had responded, the lore of paths could manipulate trods and trap people in them. Yep. So to your point earlier about the vagueness, (laughs) you know, I guess like for me, it fundamentally comes down to a, if there's reasonable latitude given in the mechanics that exist, B, the demon is operating within the logic of the space. So like if a changeling brought them into the dreaming and they manipulated the trod in a dreamish way and C, it serves the story, then I might say, okay, sure but I don't think there's anything in the way the powers are presented that, that you could argue one way or the other. Like you could say yes, absolutely. Or no. Well, no, it never says explicitly, but the way demon lores in demon, when they talk about mages, this is going to be a little bit of a Mm. conjecture here, that what they see mages doing is not entirely dissimilar to demon lores, but it's much more fluid and flexible. Right. Mm. So they probably see if they had sorcerers, they'd probably see sorcerer paths. as like very similar to what they're doing. Okay. And then you look at dreams and nightmares and the rules for doing magic in the dream, like mages doing magic in the dreaming. Yeah. I'd say the same rules apply to demons. All right. Yeah. I could. Like you're could trying to that. do a lore. You'd have to, because it's all, it's described in demons. Like their lores are understanding fundamental aspects of reality and manipulating it. Well, if they're in the dreaming, these fundamental aspects aren't the same. Yeah, they're not what they expected. So I, I would have the same great difficulty making lores work reliably that you would have for awakened sphere magic in the dreaming, which yeah. would heavily limit what they could do. And that's in the dreaming. I mean, enchantment. I'm not sure that a demon with any faith could be enchanted. Like it's not a thing they can really turn off, if I remember correctly. Hmm. So I think even if they wanted to be, I'm not sure they could be enchanted, which is interesting. But. Well, to me, what's even more interesting is to look for, I guess, lores that dovetail with like fey powers or fey situations even. Yeah. So like putting aside the mechanics, the ones that stood out to me when I was flipping through the list, there's a power called inspire that inspires creativity. And I'm like, oh, well, how would that impact a dreamer? Or like there's a power called confess that forces someone to spill their guts and be honest. How would that affect a puka? You know, so thinking about those kinds of things rather than just how can a demon mess with changelings or vice versa. Because I fall back on friend of the show, Terry Robinson's precept that no game line should be allowed to come into another one and just overrule what makes that game special. So to say like, oh yeah, of course a demon can enter a trod and mess with it. I'm like, "Mm, no, 
I'm, I'm not no. willing to... I think you could have an NPC demon mess with some things. An NPC, but... perhaps, for the sake of the story. <laughs> yeah, there is the fun one in Lore of the Forge, which is like interesting knocker connection stuff. Mm. This is probably the, the, the level one power in any World of Darkness game I want the most is enhance object where they can fix a broken thing. Okay. And even make it like run really well and last for a duration of the scene. If they spend a temporary willpower point, they can make it permanent. And yeah, it like makes it work a bit better and they can kind of understand how you like, it's like cue knocker screaming and jealousy. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, they fix the thing better than a knocker could, but like yeah. if they spend willpower and it's yeah. But some of their higher level powers are not as cool. It's their first level. That's part of the problem. Alas. But they can also bind a soul, mortal, or demon into a specially prepared reliquary object at level five. So that's interesting. Well, it's been a bit over 20 years. Maybe I'll give it a try at this yeah. point. So. Yeah. I would not run demon without its heavy house rules. Let's put it that way, though. All right. Was... We had some other questions, too. Oh, another one. Is, Have you all watched Hunter the Parenting? I watched a bit of it, but I just couldn't get yeah. into it. Yeah, I, I think I watched the first episode. Yeah. So are there any kind of broad statements about these three games in relation to Changeling that we can make? Because yeah. I don't know that there are. <laughs> I would say like you can use them in various crossover, especially like as not flat out hardcore antagonists, but like uneasy, maybe like, you know. One-offs. Or it could go like the players, depending on what the players do, it, it could be either eventually antagonists or allies or uneasy ally antagonists. I don't know the word for that. <laughs> like, you know, the, the character that you can't Frenemies. Frenemies. But it's just because they came after Changeling came out, well, except for Sword of Mummy. Um, but in general, they're just not like, even if you're doing a big one world of darkness kind of thing, these don't really need to be in your Changeling game as much. It's like there's less reason to bring them in, I think. Yeah. But uh, there can be ideas for things. Maybe yeah. give you ideas. Yeah, it seems like if you want to do crossover, you really have to design the game towards it rather than just dropping them in. Yeah, even more so. Well, vampires are hard to drop in, but... Yeah, I've done it. Like, as PC level? I would, would yeah, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, nevertheless, they are still interesting and distinctive lines in their own way, I suppose. And they present us with an aspect of that wilderness period when Changeling was in abeyance. So yeah, mm -hmm. there are worse things. Have we said all we can say? Uh, most of it. I, I, there's definitely other things I'd want to say from other games. The other games you want to <laughs> mention probably more deep dive at this point. So Save it for the Discord. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe season six will do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you can find us, uh, changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us a toot changelingpod at dice.camp you can join our facebook page changeling the podcast you can follow us on discord like i said talk about whatever weird crossover idea you want to have discord.me slash ctp send us an email podcast at changelingthepodcast.com and we have our youtube channel if you prefer podcasts in youtube form and now will automatically get uploaded without us having to do anything extra which is nice that's just changing the podcast on youtube and all of the links will be available in the show notes to this episode. Yep. And uh, once again, I'm Josh. I am the fallen known as Puka. Oh, shoot. I think I ran out of faith. I don't remember what I was going to say. 
Yeah. Well, hell is other she. In light of Josh's observations about the Earthbound basically being super evil crofted in anime, we conducted an investigation into some of the more insidious demons who among us fester. Take heed, for you too may find yourself at the mercy of the mad Kubera known as Chesterfieldius, he who weakens the legs of furniture. Or perhaps the musically inclined among you are only too familiar with Lamella, dark queen of the Parosemes who causes reed instruments to make truly hideous squeaky noises. Worst of all is Potholiel, a petulant gloom whose eldritch and infernal touch can be seen in poorly maintained streets and byways in most urban areas. We will continue our research into these and other important phenomena, which you can support, along with our show in general, through our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. As always in these outros, a hundred thousand thanks to our current patrons who include Derek, Dorkadus, Elorus, Yabol, Jason Vines, Oreo, Roz Caboose, Sandshaker, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. Even if you don't sign up at this time, we hope you'll leave us a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience or tell others about our show. But not the hunters. Please don't point the impute at our Discord. That's all for this episode, and until next time, keep on dreaming.